This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we are rolling right along in our adventures in Acts with Sons of Sceva, Demetrius' beef with Paul, riot in Ephesus, an appeal for order, Paul in Macedonia and Greece. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. How would you respond if one of your children or grandchildren came to you with this question, what does God think about suicide, or is there a prayer that I should be praying when I'm about to die? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's part seven of our series, Kids Have Questions. Today, we'll continue with the questions on death and dying and get a few questions on sexuality and identity in. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest. He's pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. Jonathan, welcome back. Hey, I'm glad to be here, Todd. Here's one I think a lot of younger kids probably can relate to. I'm scared to go to heaven. What would you say about that? Yeah, I just I found that such a such an honest question. And I would suspect it's not just a question that children would identify with. I suspect, and I know this from talking to adults, it's one that maybe sometimes adults are even hesitant to admit, but it, it's something we battle. And I just want to say before I maybe dive into the answer, I want to just give another plug to this whole idea of building a culture of questions in our church. Now, I want to be careful with that because questions can be abused. People can use questions as basically a shield to protect them from the answer. So just like endlessly asking questions, never actually seeking the answer. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about welcoming sincere questions and then seeking out those answers together. So we just started a new confirmation year here on Wednesday of this week. And so my confirmation kids got their new learning journals for the year and they start filling those out. And it just, it confirmed for me once again, just how important this is because the type of questions they're asking, most of them have nothing to do with what we're talking about in class. They have questions that are just, they're wrestling with and they're asking those questions. So I just really want to commend us in the church, pastors in the church, laity in the church, to be very welcoming and unthreatened by those questions. If we don't know the answer, let's go see if we can find it in God's Word or find someone who has studied it. But there are answers. uh, There are good, solid responses that we can offer from God's Word. So I really want to, again, put a plug in for building this culture of not being afraid of questions, but to welcome it. But to the question of the child, and I think this is, again, such a relevant question for all of us. So the first thing I said to the child was, you're normal. I suspect you're afraid because you don't know. In other words, because you've never been there before and because you've never died before, you experience apprehension and uncertainty, which you interpret as being afraid. That's normal. We all tend to be apprehensive about things we've never experienced. But in terms of heaven itself, we have no reason to be afraid. Instead, we can look forward to being happy and healthy and loved forever. And that is something we all want. Now, to expand upon that, I think this is important for us to reflect upon. We all fear or we're all apprehensive of things we don't know, right? We fear what we don't know. If we have to give a speech, we don't know who's going to be there, or we're not sure what we're going to say. We fear that, or a job interview, even an issues, et cetera, interview can, can be a source of fear and apprehension because 
What am I going to say? How's it going to come out? So not having done it before, we can be apprehensive or a test, right? So we all have that apprehension of things we haven't done before. And we haven't been to heaven before. So the apprehension, I think, is a normal emotion that, that people would experience. And let me just say as an aside here, and those who are regular listeners to issues, you know, you hear Chris Roseborough talk about this, but you got a whole industry of people touting their heaven tourism. They've been to heaven and back multiple times. Let me just say that, to put this kindly, the industry is a scam and we should know better because God's word warns us about the itching ears syndrome. And all you have to do is listen to two of these heaven tourism preachers. And you can see it's a scam because it's painfully obvious that wherever they've been, it's not the same heaven because they contradict each other. So wherever they're going, it's not heaven. So stick to the word. If a preacher says, God told me, right? He better have the Bible open and be pointing to a chapter and verse. But back to this child's apprehension about heaven. So here's the question. How do we help the child or any of us to alleviate that apprehension? Well, we talk about it. We do this with kids before we take them to the doctor, right? Or to the dentist. Well, we do this before we take them to their first day of school. We talk about it. My daughter had a sleepover with some of her girlfriends a few weeks ago, and they stayed up late talking. I asked them in the morning, I said, what were you girls talking about last night? And she said, the new earth. <laughs> That's great, right? That's fantastic. We have a neighbor boy who spends a lot of time at our house, and he asks all the time about heaven and the new earth. During our devotion time in the evening, it's very common for one of our kids to ask a question about heaven and the new earth. It's just part of our normal conversation. So we should be talking about it. In fact, one of the questions in this week's learning journal was this. Now, this is a doozy of a question. Here's what it was. Will there be caterpillars on the new earth? Now, <laughs> you may think, well, that's just a childish question. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's actually a fascinating question that reflects some pretty deep thinking on this young person's part. So think about what this child is saying. So the Bible says death will be no more. We all know that. So caterpillars are a part of an organism's life cycle. So the same thing goes with tadpoles and cicadas, and you know you can go on and on and on. And I found it such a fascinating question. And honestly, I'm still wrestling with it. I'm still thinking about it. But here's the point I want to make, is the more we talk about it, the more exciting it becomes. The more we talk about it, the more the apprehension goes away and the more the excitement builds. So parents who are listening, grandparents who are listening, pastors, any of us, talk about heaven and the new earth. Isn't it great, that question, will there be caterpillars on the new earth? It's a complex question, actually, but it's still a simple question in some respects because it reflects curiosity and it treats the new earth like it's a real place, because it is. And the child believes we're going to be there. And I'd like to know, will there be caterpillars? So talk about it. Invite your children, invite your family to talk about it. Have those conversations at supper. Have those conversations at, at your devotion time. Have those conversations at the fellowship table after church on Sunday morning. Ask those questions, and the more we talk about it, I think the more it alleviates the apprehension. 
How do you handle standing by people's bedside while they die? Yeah, this is a very insightful question from this child because I think this child had this kind of aha moment where, well, sometimes children think pastors, they only basically show up on Wednesday to do confirmation and Sunday to do church. But this child had this realization that pastors aren't just showing up at those things. They're actually with people when they die. And and that really hit home for this child. So the, the child asked what I think is a good question. And I suspect it's one that adults you've wondered about before too. So here's what I said to the child. And then I want to take a few minutes and expand upon this because there's some really important things to talk about here. So what I say to the child, this is one of the great burdens and privileges of being a pastor. It is a burden because so often there are loved ones experiencing great grief over the impending death of the person they love. It is a privilege because I get to bring the promise of Jesus into the situation, both for the dying person and for the survivors. And this is what God has called me to do, to bring the promises of Jesus to bear in every life circumstance. So I do it with joy and confidence in his name. So my answer ends there. But let me expand upon this because this is really important for listeners, and especially for laity. I want you to understand how important this piece of pastoral ministry is. I'm going to share a couple stories, but, but what I want you to know is these stories are not in the least bit unique to me. These stories reflect what pastors do. We bring the promises of Jesus to bear in every life circumstance. So we get called out in the middle of the day and in the middle of the night. We get called out for members. We get called out for non-members, for people we know and for people we don't know. I've been called to the hospital many times in emergency situations when the hospital, for instance, both for members and especially when the hospital doesn't know if an individual has a pastor, they often call me because they know I'll come. And I come to that hospital not knowing the first thing about the people who are in the midst of crisis, but I do know this. These people need Jesus, and that's my job. So let me share a couple stories with you. Several months ago, and I'm just going to call the child's name Carl. It's not his real name, but we'll, we'll use the name Carl. I got called to the hospital. Carl's dad, Carl was nine years old. Carl's dad had just died very suddenly. And the only thing I knew about this child is that I had seen him the year previous at VBS. And the only thing this child knew about Jesus, and I mean the only thing he knew about Jesus, was what he had heard at VBS and the couple little things he had occasionally come across by chance online. And so that's the situation I get called into. I know his dad has just died, and I know Carl is sitting in a hospital waiting room at age nine alone while his mom is in the ER, and he's waiting for more family to arrive, and he's trying to process what's just happened. I get called into that situation to sit with nine-year-old Carl, and it's my privilege and my burden to share Jesus with him and to try to ensure that I'm able to plant that seed and the Spirit's able to water that seed and hope to see it grow. And this summer, Carl was at VBS at Zion and I was able to connect with him again. So it's a tenuous connection, but it's still there. 
I've stood in the emergency room multiple times where you've got a half dozen doctors and nurses and medical professionals. They're working furiously to revive somebody who maybe just had a stroke or an accident. And I've watched them call it. I've heard them announce the time of death. And I've been there with the surviving family, bringing the promises of Jesus to bear. I've been at the hospital bedside or nursing home bedside or home bedside over the course of weeks, sometimes months, as a person slowly weakened and died. I've brought them communion. I've shared scripture with them. I've sung hymns to them. I've talked about death and life and heaven and the resurrection with them. I've prayed with them. I've held their hands. I've commended them to the Lord and I've given them the Lord's blessing as they breathe their last. This is what a pastor does. Let me tell you one more story. This woman's name was Lois, and I'm sharing her real name because she's just a beautiful saint of God. Lois, as an elderly elderly lady, we call them our elderly friends in Christ, my children as a moniker of respect, elderly friend in Christ. Now, Lois, her eyes barely worked. Her back was bent. Her fingers, they were pretty gnarled with age. But Lois's spirit was alive and joyful. Lois had this just infectious laugh. She had such a generous and grateful heart. She would call me sometimes and say, Pastor, I got some money I want to give. Where can I give it? And she was so eager. She bought so many children's Bibles in the church. Such a giver. But Lois had a stroke. And it left her paralyzed on the left side in the hospital bed, and she was deteriorating pretty quickly. Now, I was out of town when the stroke happened, but as soon as I got back, I headed to the hospital. The daughter was there, and she said, do you think you could give her communion? I said, well, we'll try, because at that point, we weren't sure she could swallow or open her eyes or anything. She hadn't responded for quite a while. So we came to her bedside, and her daughter leaned down and said, Mom, Pastor Connor's here. Instantly, Lois's eyes, they shot open. There's just joy and expectation in her face. And I told her that I brought her communion and she just lit up. And then we journeyed through the communion liturgy and she mouthed the words with me. See, years of confessing Christ in the liturgy, it had established this well-worn path in her mind that even though it was impaired by her stroke, she could still travel down that path with ease. So I shared Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. John 10, I am the good shepherd. And I leaned down. I said, Lois, you know these promises are for you, don't you? And she spoke. She said, yes, I know. They're for me. And then we confessed the Apostles' Creed. We prayed the Lord's Prayer. We even recited Simeon's Nunctamidus. Lord, now you're letting your servant go in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation. And then she eagerly, she receives the body and blood of Christ, swallowing down, right? The forgiveness of sins in faith. And then we prayed. And she lifted her paralyzed arm. She folds her hands. She's done that thousands of times. And then when I'd given her the Lord's blessing, she began to bless the Lord. And she lifts both her arms, both of them, up in praise. Now. A lot of the words she was saying because of the stroke, they weren't clear, but one sentence was loud and clear. And she said it over and over again. Her eyes are fixed beyond the room. And she's saying over and over again, I know you, Lord. 
I know you, Lord. And she continued doing that in joy and celebration for several minutes. And I got to tell you, I will never forget that. That's what pastors do. It's a burden and it's a joy. I just want to add just two more quick things because this is important. For laity listening, tell your pastor thank you because sometimes the burden is heavy. Sometimes we simply move from one grief into the next. And sometimes that can be heavy. So tell your pastor thank you. And please, please pray for your pastor because it's an endless job. Our work week, it never ends. A day off, it's largely a fiction. And Satan is gunning for us. So please pray for your pastor. And second, now to men listening, to men, we need pastors. So if you've ever thought about this, listen now. We need pastors. But I'm going to shoot straight with you. It's hard. This is not a one-day-a-week job. It's a 24-7 calling. And all God gives you is a book, some water, and some bread and wine. That's it. That's your go bag. That's your kit. He says, take that into the trenches where people are struggling and bring Jesus to bear. Bring his promises there. And men, we need pastors to go there. So I'll end with this. It's a simple question. Are you ready? So I'll stop there, Todd. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest. It's our series, Kids Have Questions. We will take up a question about prayer in the hour of death next. Issues Etc. Regular guests Dr. Reed Lessing and Dr. Andrew Steinman are the authors of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about The Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. Study the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens with the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process, put the word of God first, and put your congregation on a good fitting lcms.org slash stewardship. Pumpkin spice flavored everything is in the air. It's the perfect time of year to curl up with a nice warm beverage using one of Ad Crusom's mugs, featuring your favorite Lutheran symbols, Bible verses, or Christian humor. For example, Jesus' personality type is INRI. St. Paul is the patron saint of the run-on sentence. And of course, chancel culture is practiced here. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. 
Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial a podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. When Martin Luther preached the dedication for the Torgau Church, he asserted that nothing else happened in this house but that our dear Lord speak to us and we respond in prayer, thanksgiving, and praise. Issues Etc. guest Dr. John Pless. The same could be said of Concordia Theological Seminary. This is a place where our Lord speaks to us through his word, and we respond in joyful and thankful confession. We therefore invite you to visit our campus, where the word of Christ dwells among us richly. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Forming Servants in Jesus Christ to Teach the Faithful, Reach the Lost, and Care for All. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. ctsfw.edu or 1-800-481-2155. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc., It's part seven of our series, Kids Have Questions. We're dealing with questions of death and dying. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. The theme verse for the 2023-24 school year at Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas is Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Faith Lutheran provides a classical Lutheran education for pre-K through 12th grade. They also offer live interactive online classes for high school students worldwide. Learn more at flsplano.org, Faith Lutheran School, Plano, Texas, flsplano.org. Here's another question on dying Is there any prayer made for when you're about to die, or do you pray any prayer? Yeah, I mean, what a remarkable question from a child. Is there a certain prayer I'm supposed to be praying? And adults, I'm sure you've had that. When that time comes, is there a certain way I should be praying? Well, here's what I answer to the child. I say, absolutely. The Psalms are filled with prayers like this. Psalm 23 is a great Psalm to pray because it talks about Jesus walking with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 130 extols the great mercy and forgiveness of God, even as it exhorts us to wait for the Lord to accomplish his great work of salvation. Psalm 31 talks about committing our spirit into God's hands. Psalm 27 talks about Yahweh as our light and salvation, asking, whom should we then fear? And Psalm 46 declares that Yahweh is our refuge and strength, even when our world is falling apart. And I could go on and on and on. There are so many prayers and teachings that can be turned into prayers throughout Scripture to which we can turn as death draws near. And I turn to them often as I comfort people and pray for people who are dying. So my answer ends there. And now let me just expand upon that for a minute. So I mentioned this a second ago, the pastor's go bag, if you will. Well, all of us, 
all of us, we need to have our go bag of verses and texts and stories and parables from scripture. And even our go bag of hymns. Hymns are such useful things to memorize because they will not only minister to you, but they allow you to minister to others too. And I will say this, and this is an area that I work at, but I'm not the best at. I struggle with this. There's great value in memorizing scripture passages, wrote prayers and so forth. And then using scripture to form our prayers. So for example, let me explain what I mean by that. Take the Lord's Prayer, for instance. Yes, memorize it and pray it word for word. Yes, do that. We should do that every day. That would be fantastic. But we can also use it to guide our prayer as a guide for praying. So we can meditate in prayer on each phrase. And we can do the same with the Psalms. So let me explain how that might work. So if you want to understand how maybe to do this. So you start with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. And then stop right there. And then meditate on that phrase, our Father. And just, just actually just stop with the word our, right? And then you can meditate in prayer. So you can say our. Lord, thank you that I belong to a we. I am baptized into your church so that, that even if I feel alone, I can pray the first word of the prayer Jesus gives me and know that I'm not alone. I belong to a we. I belong to your church, Lord. And then you can go on to Father, and you can meditate on what it means that God is your Father. And th this can be, I think for a lot of us, this can be especially powerful. And obviously, in the act of doing this, we'll probably consider our earthly fathers. And if you had a great father, right, a godly father, well, you can thank God for this little image of him that you saw in your dad. And if you had an absent father, or honestly, just a father who wasn't involved, you can lament it. You can bring your lament to God. And then you can find comfort and solace in the fact that you have a loving faithful, strong, heavenly Father. And you can do the, the same with the Psalms. So take, for instance, Psalm 23, right? This is a fantastic Psalm, and most people, it's like their favorite Psalm. Well, the Psalm starts out with the Lord leading. In the middle, he's walking with us through the valley of the shadow of the death, and at the end, he's pursuing us with his goodness and mercy. So think about it. What's the Psalm saying? He's got you surrounded. So you can meditate on that in prayer. Martin Luther has this great little booklet, which CPH has printed, so I encourage you to go check it out, A Simple Way to Pray. And Luther gives some great ideas for how to use God's Word to guide your prayers. And really, I hope you hear, this is such a profound insight. God's Word guides our prayers. In fact, He gives us the words. So for example, Parents, grandparents, you know, you've raised your children, or if you're raising them currently, when children are little, how do they learn how to speak? From where do they get the words? Well, they typically get them from mom and dad, right? If, like, I remember when I, my kids were little, how often did I sit in front of them and say, dad, 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 or even mom, 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 mom. You repeat these words over and over again. So you're giving them the words that they then are going to receive and speak back to you. God is actually doing the same thing with us. He gives us the words, and we can speak them back, either, for example, the Lord's Prayer word for word, or to speak back Psalm 23 word for word. That is good. 
but you can also use those words to guide and to inform and to shape your word as you speak his words back to him in prayer. So if you want a deeper prayer life, I think a good way to get there is first to listen to God speak in his word and then meditate on his word back to him in prayer. So again, like two points. Yes, memorize wrote prayers and whole psalm verses. That's excellent. And two, use scripture to guide our prayers. What does God think about suicide? Oh, yeah. Can you hear the child thinking through this? I mean, I know how weighty this question is, not just for children, but for all of us. And I especially want to acknowledge for those who are listening, if you are a survivor, you know how relevant this question is. It calls for a careful, compassionate answer. So I'll offer what I offer to the child, then we can reflect upon it a little bit more. So I say to the child, suicide is self-murder. So it's effectively no different than murdering a person. But sin is forgivable. The problem is the person who commits suicide doesn't have the opportunity to repent. Having said that, it's not our last act on the earth that saves or damns us. It's faith in Christ that saves us. Typically, people who commit suicide are confused, so they're not thinking straight. Because of this, we would hold out hope for the person who commits suicide. But, and this is important, we must discourage people from committing suicide in the strongest terms possible because the people left behind are deeply wounded and psychologically damaged, oftentimes, for the rest of their lives. And suicide is murder. Okay, that's where my question ends. And obviously, there's a little bit of an effort here to, first, we need and for survivors, you know this, we need to discourage suicide as strongly as possible. But we also need to hold out the promise of God's grace. And the insight I want us to take away here when it comes to considering this is that we're not saved or damned by our last act on earth. For example, I can think of other ways that we might die where we lack the opportunity to repent. A car crash, war deaths, and so forth. If the last thing we utter on earth is a curse word or something, well, that's, Scripture is clear, that's sinful, and we lack the opportunity to repent before we died. But see, here's the thing. I, I think that's being too simplistic to conclude that, well, people whose last act they committed was a sin and didn't have opportunity to repent, they're automatically damned. I, I think that's too simplistic, and that's honestly too certain. Yes, Suicide is sin, just like murder is sin. And yes, the person lacked opportunity to repent. But here's the thing. I want to hold out hope because Scripture does not teach, as far as I'm aware, that our last act on earth decides our eternal condition. And like I mentioned, I can think of so many circumstances where a person's last act was sin, sin from which they didn't have the opportunity to repent, right? You know, auto accident, a war, stroke even, for example. So I don't want to downplay sin. I also don't want to give it more power than it has. Because here's what I know. God's grace is bigger. 
I, I want all of us to hear this. I think this is so important. This is why the gospel must predominate in our teaching and preaching. God's grace is bigger. So if I do anything, I'm going to magnify God's grace. And this is the way I like to summarize it. I want to take sin seriously and embrace grace vigorously. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. Our series with him, part seven, Kids Have Questions. We'll turn to a question of sexuality next. The church's music from the second century. The 6th century. The 12th century. The 16th century. The 21st century. The best of the church's music from the past 2,000 years. LutheranPublicRadio.org Sanctifying your commute with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Christological. My friends, Jesus comes only for sinners. Historical. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by... Sacramental. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given unto death for your sins. To find a Christological, historical, and sacramental church near you, go to issuesetc.org and click Find a Church. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's our series, Kids Have Questions. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest. Pastor Connor, let's turn to a question of sexuality and identity. A simple question, what is bi? <laughs> Very simple question. Yeah, in some respects, it's a simple question, but I'll maybe fill in a little bit more. When I obviously shared the list of this children's questions, I spared you, Todd, because this child asked, that was the first part of the question. It was a whole paragraph long question relaying different things that they had seen at school and a child at school who was identifying as bi and how that was causing trouble between him and his classmates, how they were being mean to him and he was being mean to them. So for this child, it's actually a pretty involved question. And really that's how kids often ask questions, even adults. 
you have adults come into your office and ask you questions, sometimes it takes a while to get the whole thing out. So it can be pretty involved. So as I answer the question, you'll hear me responding to what would be the fuller uh, part of their question. And yet that'll come out in my answer because it was a whole paragraph long and I just thought it'd be simpler just to have the first part which captures the essence of it. So first I'll answer uh, the child's question and then uh, I'll take a few minutes to expand upon it because obviously this is an important question. So I say, great question. And I'm glad you are concerned for this boy. Nobody should be mean to him no matter how mean he might be to them or how strange his ideas might seem. It's important to remember that hurting people often hurt people. So in all likelihood, this boy hurts people because he has felt hurt. Now, in terms of by, it basically means that a person likes, as in sexually, boys and girls. This is different than believing your identity doesn't align with your body. That would be identifying as non-binary or queer or trans. And then the child asked in the paragraph-long question if bi meant being a boy and a girl at the same time. And I say, well, bi doesn't mean a person is a boy and a girl at the same time. And I say, that's simply not possible. It's possible to believe you're a boy and a girl at the same time, but our beliefs about reality don't determine reality. And that's a very important point to remember. A person who believes this simply believes something that is not true, something that is not in line with reality. And people do this all the time. Skinny people believe they're fat. Loved people believe they're worthless. Capable people believe they're stupid. And these beliefs can come about for dozens of different reasons. Oftentimes, for people who are identifying as bi or non-binary or queer, it's because they have been hurt and they're looking for acceptance or affirmation where they can find it. And right now, our culture as a whole is celebrating sexualized identities. So this is where confused and hurting people are looking to find acceptance and affirmation. But as I said, what we believe about reality doesn't determine reality. Further, our bodies speak to reality. We are male or female. We cannot be both. And our bodies speak to our compliments. Boys are made to match in marriage with girls, and girls are made to match in marriage with boys. And yes, there is huge pressure, especially on social media, to adopt a sexualized identity. And the child also mentioned social media in their paragraph-long question. That's the thing being celebrated in our culture right now. But we know our identity is found in our created nature as a male or a female, and in our redemption in Jesus. These are where God grounds our identity, and this ultimately is what this boy needs to hear. Okay, so that's where my answer ends for the child, but let me offer a couple observations. And this first one's going to take me a few minutes to get through, but it's really, really important. So first observation is this. We live in a juvenilized culture, and here's what I mean. By and large, as a culture, we are not aiming for the good, the right, the true, and the beautiful. What in effect we're aiming for is the feel good, the right for me, the true for me, and the entertaining. We're not trying to pull children up into the mature adult world. In fact, all you got to do is look at the things we put mature 
and adult on, and you'll see what I mean. So a while back, I was in a business in town and they had a, a stand and they were selling socks, but they had a cardboard over the socks and it simply said adult over the socks, which apparently they had some sort of adult themed socks. I'm not sure it was under it. And I just said to the clerk behind the counter, I said, it ought to say immature adult because how silly is it? We put adult on this stuff that is the last thing that lines up with being an adult, right? Or to being mature. It's completely immature. Or you can just Google the most popular songs in our country right now and look at their lyrics or the most popular YouTube or TikTok videos in our country. Read their lyrics. They're juvenile. Now, I'm not being dismissive of our youth, but as you've had Jennifer Roback Morse on before, and she likes to put it, immaturity is rampant among the youth. Again, I'm not at all disparaging youth. I'm pointing out that the whole point of a culture should bring the youth into the good, the right, the true, and the beautiful, things the adults should be esteeming and treasuring. So I know you're thinking, well, how does this relate? Well, here's how. Because we've also juvenilized parenting. Here's how. We've prioritized the peer-peer relationship, the juvenile-juvenile relationship, over the parent-child relationship. And here's the problem with that. Teen relationships are fragile, right? It's here today. It's not guaranteed tomorrow. Kids cannot assume that friendship will endure the night. This is what the parent-child relationship is supposed to do. So parents, metaphorically speaking, we are the floor. As the floor, we're supposed to be there when our kids get out of bed in the morning. They should be able to assume this relationship with us precisely because they can't assume the other ones. They should be able to assume that dad and mom are there when they put their feet on the floor every morning. They should be able to assume us. But we've prioritized this peer-peer relationship over the parent-child relationship. And simultaneously, like I mentioned earlier about the adult thing, we've also prioritized adult desires. And when you do this, the results, they're just catastrophic, absolutely catastrophic. I would have people read Leonard Sachs's The Collapse of Parenting. And I want to mention this, social media is making this unimaginably worse, right? So I encourage everybody to watch, I've mentioned before, Lutheran Family Service is putting on a webinar on screens. I know the link will be on the webpage and on the app and so forth. So I encourage you to check it out, Lutheran Family Service, the webinar series. I'm going to be talking about social media and screens in just, just a week. It's really important. I encourage you to be a part of that. But here's the thing with social media. It is completely undermining the parent-child relationship, and it's making the peer-peer relationship even less certain because you never know what someone is going to post about you, ever. You could go to bed, friends, and wake up trashed and rejected on social media, and that's especially damaging for girls. And what identities are being celebrated on social media? What are the influencers celebrating? Where else, where's all the love bombing happening? Where? In what prefixes, what letters? LGBTQ, plus, 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 homo, trans, bi, cis. These are all the stuff being thrown out there, right? Well, I want to say these things are so incredibly limiting. I mean, what a small way to think of the human person, to reduce them to a letter or a prefix. And I feel such compassion for the person who thinks that one of these letters or prefixes is big enough to hold their identity. It's not. So if you're listening now, and if this is you or someone you care about, 
hear this, please. You are bigger than a letter. You have a bigger identity than a prefix. You are a male or you are a female and you bear the image of the living God. And regardless of what the world says, he calls this good. So understand this. Your body is good. No matter what anybody else says, God has called your body as male or female good. The world is wrong. The stereotypes are wrong. Your body is right. So these letters and prefixes that are being celebrated in our culture, this is where kids are looking for their identity. They're taught to look for their identity in these letters and prefixes. And these are the things our immature world is offering. And yes, they are immature. That's the way scripture speaks. How many times does scripture exhort us to move toward maturity? in our thinking to be mature, in our manhood to be mature. How many times does it exhort us to grow up in our thinking? So my first observation is we need to call our culture and our children into maturity, into wisdom, and to embrace the good, the right, the true, and the beautiful. And yes, there is an objectiveness to this because God tells us what is good, right, true, and beautiful. The question is, do we believe him? So I would commend Lewis's The Abolition of Men and Christopher Yuan's Holy Sexuality and his book, Out of a Far Country. Really, really thoughtful works. So I have one more observation and then I'll be done. So we need to prioritize the parent-child relationship over the peer-peer relationship and read Leonard Sachs on this. Really, really important. So going back to what I said on the child, so here's my last observation. Beliefs about reality don't determine reality. I tell my kids all the time, reality really is a certain way and reality has edges. So this is so very important. Our beliefs don't determine reality. My belief that the sun will rise tomorrow doesn't make it rise. My belief that I can dunk a basketball doesn't make it happen. My belief that I'm a woman doesn't make it so. Beliefs don't determine reality. Beliefs must be aligned with reality. And who gets to define reality? God does. And he does that in creation and he does it in scripture. And because we are fallen, it is possible for us to have beliefs about reality that are wrong. I know that's hard, but we all need to ask ourselves, is it possible for someone to believe something that is false? Is it possible for me to believe something that is false? Well, of course it is then do we have anywhere we can go? Anyone to whom we can look to hear the truth? Of course we do. God has stamped his truth onto creation and he's breathed it into scripture. Now, there's a lot more to say about this topic, obviously, but we'll just stop with that. That gives us a good place to start. Pastor Jonathan Connor is pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. You'll find a link to Pastor Connor's September 13th webinar, Your Life on Screens, Understanding the Seen and Unseen, and what you must do about it on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Jonathan, thanks. Thanks, Todd. Issues Etc. has been brought to you in part this week by Luther Academy. For information on the worldwide mission work of Luther Academy, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Next week on Issues Etc., we'll talk with Pastor Hans Feeney about the crushing yoke of a deconstructionist pastor, We'll continue our evangelism series with Dr. Ken Sherb, and we'll have pastors Brian Wolfmiller and Brian Ketchelmeyer respond to your unanswered Bible questions. I'm Todd Wilkin. Go to church Sunday. 
Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Join us September 29th at 7 p.m. for a hymn festival celebrating the Feast of St. Michael and All Angels at Good Shepherd Lutheran in Collinsville, Illinois. Hymn commentary will be provided by Pastor Will Whedon, host of the Word of the Lord Endures Forever podcast, along with organist Chris Lemker, orchestra, and choir. For more information or to register to sing in the choir, visit our website, withangelsandarchangels.org. This is Pastor Tyler Arnold of Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri. The Saints at Village are proud to be an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. If you are in the St. Louis area, join us for the Divine Service at 8.15 or 10.45 a.m., Bible study and Sunday school at 9.30 a.m., as we receive Christ's promise of salvation and forgiveness through word and sacrament. You can find us at villagelutheranchurch.org. Village Lutheran in St. Louis welcomes you.